Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. Today was Resurrection Sunday at Chesbro Baptist Church and we were so thankful to be in the house of God celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The title of the message this morning is Why Weepest Thou? We're going to spend a little time this morning with Mary Magdalene on that first Resurrection Sunday. Please enjoy. John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20. Uh, Once again, if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence as we read the Word of God, and then we'll pray and have a seat. We're going to read the first 11 verses of John chapter number 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth for that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down looking in saw the linen clothes lying yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples went away, and again, unto their home, own home. Verse number 11 is my text verse this morning. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. The title of the message this morning is Why Weepest Thou? Why Weepest Thou? Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've done for us today. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd be with us on this Resurrection Sunday. I pray that you'd be with your people. I pray that you'd be with your word. I pray that you'd fill us all with your spirit and power. We're looking to get fed this morning, Lord. Please feed us. For ashes in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Although Mary Magdalene plays an important part in the role of Christ, we surprisingly don't know a whole lot about her. What we do know is that she's one of five Marys uh, that follow Jesus. And if you're not careful, you'll get them confused. Um, We know that Mary Magdalene was from the village of Magdala, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there have been a lot of misconceptions about Mary Magdalene over the years. There are some people that think that she was the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 although the Bible does not say that. There are some people that believe that, that, that she was the sinful woman who anointed the feet of Jesus in Luke 7. But once again, the Scripture does not say that. There's no evidence to support that. There are some people that say that Mary Magdalene was a promiscuous woman. There are some people, there's some traditions out there that say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. But let me tell you something, the Bible does not say anything like that. We can't base those assumptions on facts. But let me tell you what we do know. 
What we do know is that before she met Jesus, she was totally enslaved by demonic powers. Now that, <coughs> that is something we do know. Now it does no good for us to, to speculate why she was possessed with seven demons. We just know that she was. And man, I'll tell you this, if being possessed with one demon is bad, you can guarantee that being possessed with seven is seven times worse. No doubt her condition was well known to others. But I'm here to tell you this morning that when, set, when, when Christ set her free, he liberated her from the demonic chains that enslaved her. He liberated her and she is living proof that when the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. Having, liberate, having liberated her from demonic bondage, she said, to, she said to herself, and probably out loud, I love him for what he did for me, and I will follow him wherever he goes. Let me tell you something about Mary Magdalene. She did follow Christ. She followed him. She followed Christ all the way to the cross. She saw Jesus' broken mangled flesh torn body she saw the crown of thorns as it pressed down into his skull the bible says that jesus's bones stared at him she could see his ribs in his rib cage she was watching and she followed jesus to the cross and when jesus lay down on the cross and they hammered those nails into his into his flesh she watched it she watched as they raised that cross up and it went down in that hole and all of his bones came out of joint. She was there and she saw it. She was standing right beside his mother Mary when Jesus was drawing his last breath. She heard the words, It is finished. Then she watched as they took the fabric and they used that fabric to lower down Christ off the cross. She saw the whole bloody, gory thing. The Bible says that when they put Jesus in the tomb, she was standing on a rock ledge and she watched them put Jesus in the tomb. She watched the whole thing. She witnessed the whole, the whole thing. Now let me tell you something. The instant, I lost my place, sorry, give me one second. On that Saturday evening, the Sabbath was, had concluded. And she went and she bought some spices to anoint his dead body. Early on that uh, Sunday morning, she went with a group of women to the tomb. Now it can be said of Mary that, uh, that she, was the, she was the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And you can't say that about any of the men that followed Christ. You can only say that about Mary. On that morning, early that Sunday morning before the sun was up, her and the other women, they ventured towards the garden tomb and they were expecting to finish the job of anointing the body of Jesus if we piece together the various accounts from the different Gospels, we can conclude that Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead sometime in the pre-dawn hours. Sometime in the pre-dawn hours, He rose from the dead and there was an earthquake and the seal was broken and the stone was rolled away and Christ came out of the tomb. 
the, the, the soldiers that were there, they, uh, uh, they were knocked unconscious. And when they awoke, they fled in fear. Now, as the women were going towards the tomb, Mary was the first one that saw the stone rolled away. As soon as, soon as she saw the stone rolled away, she knew something wasn't right. She knew that the body had been removed and she didn't know who removed it. She didn't know if it was a friend. She didn't know if it was a foe. She just knew it was gone. So immediately she turned and she ran to get Peter and John. The other women that was in the group, they went to the tomb. The angels told them that Christ had risen and they broke up into groups to go tell the other disciples. The other Mary and Salome went with one group and Joanna went with another group. It was about that time that, that Peter and John and Mary had got to the tomb. They got to the tomb and John was looking in and because he got there first and Peter went in and they looked around and the tomb was empty. So Peter and John left. And when they left, they left Mary at the tomb alone weeping. If I could, if I could just try to put you in a little mindset of what Mary Magdalene was going through that morning. Mary was confused and she was bewildered and she was in shock and she was frightened and she was brokenhearted. It had not yet occurred to her what an empty tomb meant. It had not yet occurred to her that Jesus had risen from the dead. But you know, like I said of Mary, she was the last at the cross and the first of the tomb and no one else could say this about her. You know, she was the first to see Jesus alive. She was the first to hear his voice. But you know what the irony of the story is? The irony is that she saw Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. She saw him, but she did not recognize him. Let me say today, death is not easy to deal with. We try to avoid it. We try to postpone it. We try to stay as far away from it as we possibly can. But sometimes, death stares us in the face. We don't know what to do. Or we don't know how to act. We don't know how to respond. And that's what Mary was feeling. And that's why Mary was standing in front of a garden tomb at 6.30 a.m. On, on the first resurrection Sunday. That's why she was standing there because she was trying to deal with this death. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to take just a little time, not going to be long, and I want to talk about Mary's experience on that day. My first point is this, Mary's sorrow. Mary's sorrow. Let's look back at the Bible, read verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Now, the tomb is empty. It's an empty tomb. Why is she still there? It's empty. There's nothing in it. Why is Mary standing at an empty tomb? If you've ever lost a loved one that you loved more than life itself, then you know what Mary was going through. 
you know why she was still at that tomb. She had loved Jesus in life. Now she loved Jesus in death. She wanted to serve Jesus in, in uh, uh, she wanted to serve Jesus in life. And now she wants to serve him in death. She's there at the tomb alone because death could not destroy her love. Some of you got up this morning. Maybe you remembered somebody who's not here this year. Maybe later on today you'll go out to a cemetery and you'll stand at a grave all by yourself. Maybe in your heart you may even talk to the person who is gone. You may even tell them how much you love them, how much you miss them. And if you've ever done that, you know where Mary is. You know what Mary's feeling. She weeps over the tomb. The tomb is empty. She's weeping over an empty tomb. What should have been good news is breaking her heart. We would say today that an empty tomb is one of the greatest proofs of a resurrected Christ. After all, Buddha's still in his tomb and Muhammad's still in his tomb. Bless God, Jesus' tomb is empty. Amen. An empty tomb is one of the greatest proofs of a resurrected Christ. But yet, she still weeps. You know what that tells me? Evidence alone is never going to change anybody. Evidence alone is not enough to change someone. You can have all the evidence in the world, but unless that evidence comes with, a, with an understanding and an open heart, nobody is ever going to change. You can show them an empty tomb all day long and it's not going to be enough. You know, Mary had all the facts right, but she jumped to the wrong conclusion. You know, we often do the same thing. Sometimes in our life we face trials. We face unexplained tragedy. And we weep over circumstances. But if we had the mind of God, and if we looked at it from God's perspectives, we wouldn't weep. That's easier said than done, though. Trust me, I know. You understand that Mary, what Mary wanted that day is she wanted to go to that tomb and she wanted to look in that tomb and she wanted to see the dead body of Jesus. How glad am I she did not get her wish. How glad am I that when Mary got there that day she did not get her wish. If Mary would have gotten her wish that day me and you would be the ones weeping. Me and you would be in a mess today if she found Jesus still in that tomb. Bless God she found the tomb empty. We would have nothing to celebrate today. Now, it is interesting to me that this is one of the only encounters in the Bible when somebody sees an angel and they're not stricken with fear. Every other time in the Bible when you see an angel, they fall down in fear or they're stricken in fear or they're, they're afraid they're going to die, but not this time. It doesn't happen here. What that does is it shows, it shows us that Mary was so grieved at the loss of Jesus that she was unaffected by the appearance of even angels. Now, me and you saw an angel. I mean, and we saw the halo and the wings and the, the glowing and the floating. Man, we might have some things to say. You might see a Brother Brett-sized hole in that door as I run through it. You know, there's, we're, we're going to be intrigued and fascinated. But you know, when your heart 
is longing for Jesus, not even an angel will do. Not even an angel will suffice. Angels are not a decent substitute when you're yearning for Christ. And so she turned away from the angels. She's not interested in the angels. She said, I want my Lord. She sought for a lost Christ and she looked in a place where he could not be found. And we do that too. We lose Christ when our faith is shaken. And when our grief blinds us to the fact that he's standing right beside us. Others, they fall in temptation. They become prosperous and worldly. And they begin to lose sight of anything spiritual. They become content with the world and their faith and hope in Christ. Take a back seat to the point where they can't find it anymore. That's Mary's sorrow. That's what she's feeling right now. You've been there, I know. You've been there. I've stood in those funeral homes. I've stood at that grave. I know. Maybe not to the extent some of you do. But we all know what, what Mary's going through. Now, number two, we have Mary's love. Number two, we have Mary's love. Let's read verses number 14 and 15. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou, whom thou seekest? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Now, Jesus is right there. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? He was right there. She had spent all this time with him. How come she didn't recognize him? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but you know, several things come to mind. Certainly, she was not expecting to see him. Certainly, he was out of context for her. We all know what it's like to see somebody out of context. You ever work with someone and you work with them, and, but then you see them at the grocery store and you see him not at work, and you, don't, you see him not in uniform, and you hardly recognize him, and sometimes you don't recognize him until they say your name? Well, that's seeing somebody out of context, and that's what, that's what Mary was going through. She saw him out of context. And then uh, another thing I want you to think about is she was weeping, and she was overcome with emotion. But, you know, it could also very well be that Jesus deliberately veiled his own identity much like he did to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, veiled his identity because Jesus did not want Mary to recognize him at first. He did not want Mary to recognize him so he could teach her an important truth. She had to learn that even though she couldn't see him, that he was there. She had to learn that, that he is always present even when he's invisible to the naked eye. From this, me and you can take away from this that Jesus is the most, Jesus is the closest to us when we feel alone. Many times we walk through life and we go through some deep, dark valleys, and these deep, dark valleys in our life, we feel all alone and we think God has abandoned us. But if we could only open our eyes, we could see that Jesus was walking with us the whole way. 
Every step of the way, he was beside us. And just because we do not see him does not mean he is not there. I want you to see that Jesus said, whom thou seekest. Whom thou seekest. Notice he didn't say what thou seekest. He said, whom thou seekest. She was seeking a what. She was seeking a dead body. That's a what. Jesus was implying to Mary, Mary, you don't need to be looking for a what. You need to be looking for a who. So many times in our lives, we do the same thing. We look for help among dead things. We look for dead things to meet our needs. What is a dead thing? A dead thing is anything that is not alive. And you can't find help among dead things. Money is dead. A self-help book is dead. A prescription pill bottle is dead. The internet is dead. WebMD is dead. Apps on your phone are dead. You're not going to find help there. Where can you find help? It's time we started looking for help among the living. Let me tell you today, your Bible is alive. Your Holy Spirit is alive. And bless God, your Savior Jesus Christ is alive today. Bible says she's supposing him to be the gardener. Now this was a garden tomb and this garden belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And so she was at 6.30 in the morning. She wasn't expecting to see Joseph working in the garden out at 6.30 in the morning. Um, so she supposing it was the gardener. It was just the natural assumption that she made. She saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. Mary, I want you to see here that Mary wanted to do a work for Christ, but it was misguided. She wanted to serve Christ, but it was, she, was, she was mistaken and she was misguided on some things. She made a couple of mistakes. The first mistake she made here is she overestimated her ability. She overestimated her ability. How in the world is she going to move the dead corpse of a full-grown, near 200-pound man by herself. How was she going to do that? She overestimated her ability. Sir, hey, jo hey, Jesus had a job for Mary, but it wasn't undertaker. Jesus had a job for Mary, and it wasn't to drag a dead body off into the sunset. That wasn't, he had a job for her, but that wasn't it. No, we do this too. We do this, we, we overestimate our ability and we do this by relying on our own sufficiency. We say things like, you know what? What I'm doing right now is good enough. What I'm doing now, what I'm able to do, it's good enough. It's good enough. And we find that that's a lie. We may think that's true, but it's not true. I don't have to readjust my schedule to serve God. What I'm doing is good enough. I don't have to inconvenience myself to go to church because what I'm doing is good enough. I'm sufficient enough. I'm good like I am. We are not. We are not good like we are. The second thing she did is she underestimated Christ. She overestimated her ability and then she underestimated Christ. She had heard Christ say over and over and over that he would rise again on the third day, but yet she's still looking for a dead body. She underestimated Christ. 
know what he wants us to do? He doesn't want us to rely on our own sufficiency. He wants us to rely on our insufficiency. He wants us to rely on our insufficiency. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what the key to serving God is? The key to serving God is not relying on your strength. The key to serving God is relying on your weaknesses. Because let me tell you something about mine and your strengths. Mine and your strengths are not strong enough. They're not. But you know what weakness is? Weakness is an opportunity for Christ to flex his muscles. Weakness is an opportunity for God's strength to shine through. Oh, Brother Brad, I'm not good with talking to people. Okay, let Christ help you with that. Brother Brad, I'm not, it's hard for me to read my Bible. Okay, let Christ help you with that. Oh, Brother Brad, I'm not good in front of a crowd. Okay, let Christ help you with that. Number three this morning, we have Mary's faith. Let's start reading at verse number 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but I go to my brethren, and I say unto them, I ascend unto my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Jesus said unto her, Mary, he only said one word. And in that one word, he explained everything there was to explain. How much power, think about how much power is in one word. What does the word mom do to you? What about when you hear the word dad? What about when you hear the word mama? What about when you hear the word papa? What about when you hear the word sweetheart? Man, one word can pack in a lot of stuff. And in one word, Jesus said a whole sentence to Mary. In one word, he said, I am here. I am back from the dead. I know who you are and I still love you. He said all that in one word. Now, there are people that say, that in the next life, we will not know each other. There are people that believe that. I want you to see here that she knew his voice and he knew her name. Death cannot destroy human personality. The essence of who you are passes through death undisturbed. The real you goes through the, the door marked death and you come out on the other side in eternity. She calls him Rabboni, which is my master. And then, then he said, touch me not. Now, I've heard it preached like this before. I've heard it preached that she couldn't touch him at all because he had not ascended to the Father. But later on, Thomas touched him. A whole lot of people touched him. So in between Mary and Thomas, Jesus ascended and came back. I've heard it preached like that way before. Possibly. But I want you to see here the phrase touch me not in the Greek. It's the term memu haptamahi. What that literally means is don't cling to me. 
It means don't cling to me. In fact, if you have an NIV Bible, verse 17 in your Bible says, do not hold on to me. So perhaps, perhaps, she knelt down and she wrapped her arms around the feet and she thought, I'm never going to let go. I've lost you and I finally got you back and I'm never going to let you go. Jesus was someone that Mary, that Mary could love and Jesus was someone that Mary could trust and she was clinging to something that she had to give up. You know what her clinging meant? Her clinging meant everything's going to be the same. Everything's going to be just like it used to be. But Jesus said, no, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. I've got things I've got to do. Things aren't the same. Things aren't going to be the way they used to be. Many things are going to be different now. And then Jesus gives Mary a glimpse into his future. And he says that he will soon ascend to his father and he will take his place on the right hand of majesty on high. From there, he will intercede for his followers. He will commune with the Holy Spirit and he will be closer to us there than he has ever been to us in the past. He had to go. She couldn't cling to him. She couldn't hold on to him. He had somewhere he had to be. Then he said, I am ascending to, listen to this, to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He could have just said our father. He could have just said our God, but he didn't. He said, my father and your father, my God and your God. What was he saying there? Jesus was saying, you know what? He's mine, but in another sense, He's yours. He's my father by nature. He's your father by grace. The same God that brought me back from the dead, that's the same God you serve. Then he said, but go to my brethren and say unto them, Jesus had a mission for Mary. And I want you to see here the fact that Jesus made a woman the first witness to the resurrection is very significant. Now, it's an unfortunate but true fact that the law courts of that day would not recognize the testimony of a woman. But Jesus did. And this also argues for the historical accuracy of this account. Because if you are going to fabricate a story, would you, not, uh, would you not have a man say that he witnessed it? After all, unfairly, the women's accounts were regarded as, as unreliable. But Jesus didn't care about all that. Jesus chose Mary to witness him. And so Mary did that. Mary went, she told the disciples what she'd seen or heard. She could not stop talking about her encounter with the Lord. The mourner had became the missionary. One day when I was nine years old, I met Christ. I met him in, in Magnolia, Mississippi at a church called Tabernacle Baptist Church. That preacher stood up on a Sunday night and he preached on the fires of hell and he gave an invitation. And that night a nine-year-old red-headed boy walked down the altar, came down to an altar, and a man took him in a Sunday school room and showed him the gospel and showed him how to be saved. Have I ever doubted my salvation before? Absolutely. But I've gotten my assurance. I know that that day a nine-year-old boy accepted Christ as his Savior. And today I'm going to heaven when I die. 
Because I know who my Savior is. And I know he rose again for me. And I know I'm saved. Do you know that? Do you know that? I'm not asking you if you, if you suppose. I'm not asking you if you guess. You cannot have any doubt. It is so incredibly simple. It is so simple to receive salvation. It's the reason why he died. It's the reason why he rose again on the third day. It's the reason why he got out of that tomb. It's the reason why we can sing songs like he's alive. He's alive. Because that's what we're about. When did you meet Jesus? When did you witness his power? When did you witness his saving grace? Just like Mary witnessed Jesus Christ on that day, it is our job to witness Jesus and to go out and tell others about him too. To bring them to church where they can hear about a witness. Mary was a witness. The mourner had become a missionary. And so that's what we're to do. We're to tell everyone we meet about the risen Lord that we met. There's great powers in the words. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I'm giving you an eyewitness account. There was a church in Bangladesh. And the church was full of people who'd never heard the gospel before. They'd never heard Jesus. And so what the pastor did is he was playing a movie in the church. It was the movie Jesus. And the, the, the pews were packed with kids in the front and adults standing in the back. The movie played and the pastor had already told them that this was a true story. And so whenever uh, uh, the movie got to the crucifixion, people were shocked. Children were crying. The adults in the back were having audible gasps at the crucifixion. Man, everybody was shocked, and, and you could hear people kind of shocked in the building. And then near the end, there was a little boy on the front row. He stood up and turned around, and he raised his hand and said, It's okay. He gets up again. I've seen it before. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we're to do. Today, we are to stand before the world, and we're to proclaim, Fear not. Jesus has come back from the dead and I have seen him. Let me introduce you to him. In 1898, there was a 30-year-old man named C. Austin Miles. C. Austin Miles had just became the editor of a music publication firm in Philadelphia. C. Austin Miles, he had a hobby and his hobby was photography. So he went into his house and he took a room in his house and he turned that room into a, a dark room slash study. One day he's sitting in his study and he opens the word of God and he begins to read the verses that we just read this morning. He reads John chapter 20 and he reads the story of Mary and he reads how she went back to get Peter and John and he reads how Peter and John and Mary came back to the tomb and he read how, how they didn't, how the tomb was empty and he read how Peter and John left and how Mary was there weeping. He read how she saw the angels but did not care. He read how she turned and, and someone started talking to her. She supposed it was the gardener. And then he read how, how Jesus said the word Mary. And Mary knew that that was a resurrected Christ. Miles read this story. 
When Miles got done reading the story, he put his Bible down, he picked up a piece of paper and a pen, and he began to write a song. And the words to the song he wrote that day for the last 120 years has tried to put us in the shoes of Mary Magdalene on that first Resurrection Sunday. And the words to the song go like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He is alive. 